you go from it? What's been happening? So we've got over 400 members now. Holy hell. Yeah, more than 420, which is crazy. That's amazing. And consistently, we've got about like 50 uh, online at any one time. So people hop in and out checking stuff, which is good. Um, absolute scads of content being uploaded. Lots and lots of remote games being played. Um and people having fun in paint and chat, just shooting the shit, which has been good. Yeah. Um, few battle reports as well. Uh, for example, Morglum uh, posted up some pics playing uh, like a dwarf versus elf game. Really good terrain, fantastic miniatures. Very cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, in Blood Bowl, Davide seems to be working on some undead now after he finished off some lizards uh so i can't wait for some updates on that got to see some like uh ghouls and vampire in progress shots which is cool and uh clem and his family have been playing heroes quest that's what we all like to see i mean kids seem to get a kick out of these games still just like we did and still do yep Uh, yeah it's always good to see them and he had this cool like little village and farm and stuff like an outside area of the dungeon that was cute (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, nice people have been doing um stuff with epic lately so john paints he's been churning out uh some really sort of like stunningly painted orcs stuff like uh stompers weird boy tower Big Gargant, big metal Gargant. That, that's really cool. I like the old Orc Gargant models. Nothing's really sort of come close to those. Um, he also did like an entire Imperial Guard tactical company, which uh, as per the card, and it it's a big square of miniatures on the table. And it looks really cool. Um, he's been doing like Blood Angels, Death Company, all that sort of stuff as well. Very, very cool. Uh, one of our new members, uh, the Grimdark Geek or Chak Balam, um, he's been doing a video about epic scale Titan Legions. So I recommend checking that out. The link is in the YouTubers community channel. Uh, he's got some really cool videos. So check it out. And Alex or the Hobby Grotto, he did a how to paint retro Warhammer squig video. It's excellent. I've been bit obsessed with um, recent pics of um, squigs and squiggly beasts, but I'll talk about that a bit later. Uh, Mana War. So Discord's been a bit sort of on fire and mad with Mana War lately. Uh, yourself, Gertjan, um, I think Marcel, even Clem have been playing games of Mana War recently, and there's been a lot of um, remote games being played as well. And I was on holiday, so I got to watch some live uh, games, which was very good. And uh, I believe Marcel has recently collected every fleet of Manor War. But uh, I hear he still needs some monsters. So if you have any spare monsters, please message him. Uh-huh. I have all but yeah, no, it's been a it's been Manor War Man, and I have been enjoying it immensely. So. Even though I've got my ass handed to me twice by GJ now in the yeah, last in two any, years. Yeah, in any case, it's been really fun to play out. So it's been good to just get Manor War on the, on the table and play it. It's a pretty cool game. Um, I, uh, it's funny. So Cam of Warwick posted up some picks and uh, he bravely played a game versus his very own Hobgoblin and he lost 
his ironclad was crushed by the mighty claws of Promethean, which sat on a beach. That was very cool to see. Um, I think uh, young kids would get a kick out of uh, Man of War once they reach a sort of certain age where they can understand yeah. the, uh, the rules a bit more. It's pretty cool. It's, so, sure. yeah. it's a good looking game too. Hmm. Very funny. Um, it is indeed. Now, in the Mordheim section of the Discord, um, Weird Stoned has uploaded a poster for a Mordheim event in America into the City of the Damned. In, that's in March in 2023. So check that out. If you're American, it might be near you, it might not. Uh, North America is a very big place, but uh, that's very cool to see an event like that. Um, myself, I hope to be painting up a war band for Mordheim soon. So wow. maybe fantasy, mate. That's amazing. Maybe I'll play with uh, Brandy Dog one day in Mordheim. Okay. Interesting. Probably get my ass kicked, but all good. So recently, a space was made on the Discord for Warzone and Chronopia, and quite a few members posted up painted models and art from the game. Um, when I was a teen and I was playing uh, 40k, it was a direct competitor to Games Workshop, and many of the older players could not stand 40k anymore because it had become so hero hammer and bloated with rule system, and little teenagers like me were um, absolutely giving them bloody noses when they played against us. So they migrated over to Warzone and Chronopia, and Warzone had you know, its own crazy lore and fantastic art. It was its own universe. And the rules at that time were really, really like strategic and competitive. Unfortunately, the models weren't great. I only liked a handful of them, but the handful I did like are, are really classic models. They changed the rule set, I think, and maybe the model stagnated a bit. Something happened and it all fell apart. Um, and it had a few sort of stop-start revivals that didn't really go anywhere. But it's really cool because a lot of the people on the Discord have thrown up pictures of these classic um, models that they've painted, and they look really good. I, I recommend you check that out. Even if you didn't like um, that game system, you can appreciate the art and the skill of like some of the models that were in it. And we've also seen a few people, you know, doing things like repairing damaged models and filling in missing bits by using blue stuff molds and things like that. It's a cool to see people giving advice about that as well. Um, and other people will also mention like, you know, if you're missing like a wheel off a chariot or something like that, and you've got access to someone with a 3D printer, you might also be able to just 3D print that wheel as well. So there's a lot of options there. Um, lots of content, lots of new people. It's good to see. And it's really good to see a lot of new people to the Discord posting up stuff they've painted or stuff they are working on. Keep doing it. Love to see it. Everyone enjoys it. Don't be shy. That's it. Good words and wise words there, Panafix. Thanks, mate, for uh, our, uh, our Discord roundup. So today, uh, our main interviewee will be Dave Taylor. Now, Dave Taylor is probably a name that most people would know from back in the day. Um, I think it would be in the 90s, and I'm really sorry if I've got the history wrong, but I think in the sort of uh, late 90s, uh, Dave Taylor was um, given the, the role and position as the main editor for White Dwarf Australia. Now, I don't know exactly when that was. I'm going to actually ask Dave that because 
Uh, I've got a feeling it's it's probably mid nineties, but I could be wrong. I think it might. Uh, be, I think you're right. It might be mid nineties. Yeah. Okay. So Dave got the position there, and it's really interesting to see how he's sort of come across or come through the ages. You know, from being an editor for White Dwarf, and then now. You know, launching Kickstarters, and I think he works for another company. We'll have to we'll have to touch onto that later on, anyway. But I sort of found out about him again through the Terraniacs um, terrain book um, that Mel uh, released on Kickstarter. And then I realized, oh, Dave Taller was the person who's publishing it for him. So, and then that sort of you know that it sort of sparked my interest as like, wow, okay, he's still actively involved in the community and the hobby community. So. It's a name that I think it might be quite synonymous with um, Australians in the Games Workshop hobby. And um, so, yeah, I hope you really enjoyed this interview. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, and hearing from Dave and talking about lots of things. Thanks, people, for sending in their questions on our Discord. I'll, I'll convey those to Dave. So hopefully you'll have the answer that you've wanted. But anyhow, Card Effects, thanks again, mate, for your time today. I really appreciate it, buddy. And we'll catch again, catch up again for our hundredth episode next time. Awesome. See you then. Okay, mate. Take care. Then. All right. See you. See you. Bye. Welcome back, everybody, to the Crown and Command. I sound, I've, I've sounded a lot better. But um, luckily, we have a guest on, famous <laughs> Dave Taylor, uh, that you may have remembered from uh, your White Dwarves in Australia. As you open up the front cover, the editorial will be written by Dave. Would have been written by Dave, and um, Dave's been kind enough to come on to the Crown and Command to talk about, yeah, how he sort of got started in the hobby and how it all sort of transpired into becoming part of the White Dwarf team in Australia. So, Dave, I want to extend extend my thanks again, mate, for coming on today. Oh no, no worries, not a, uh, not a problem at all. Um, I always like talking about toy soldiers and uh, and sort of back in the day kind of stuff. So <laughs> no, it's all good. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Awesome, mate. So uh, the first question I I always ask people when they come on for the first time is like, how did they actually initially come in contact with the hobby? Um, uh, so was it through White Dwarf or was it through a friend or something? Um, no, it was. Uh... I think it was my, it was my my first year at uni. Um, oh, well, going further back, um, probably year six, I started playing D and D with my next door neighbor, uh, and we'd kind of hang out. Um, we'd go to bookstores that sold like Dragon magazine, and uh, occasionally we'd buy minis and paint them terribly with like Humbrol enamel paints and that kind of thing, um, like a lot of folks did in the in the eighties. Played D and D all through high school. And then uh, my first year at uni, I um, was walking down the, the street in my hometown with a friend and we popped into a hobby store and um, saw some really cool miniatures. And I was like, oh, wow, these these look great. I wonder what, what these are all about. I wonder what you use these for. And then uh, we kept walking and we went into another sort of game store and there were these awesome chess sets with um, like really elaborately carved... Um, pieces and uh i was like oh maybe i could get some of those other models that we saw paint them up and turn them into a chess set so i just started i started doing that and bought these models individually and painted them all up and after like three or four months i had a chess set ready to go and uh 
by that time, I'd also built up a bit of a relationship with the uh, staff at the of the hobby store, and um, I bought some Space Marines, some of the RTB01 um, plastic Space Marines, like 30 in a box, and uh, painted up another chess set using them. And um, when I bought my second box, the, the guy at the store was like, oh, you, you must have enough for an army. And I said, an army? What do you mean by that? <laughs> and he was like, well, these are for a game called uh, Warhammer 40,000. I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, yeah, he told me all about it and it kind of went from there. So I started playing uh, Warhammer. I started playing 40K. Um, and yeah, so I was at uni just working a couple of jobs to um, be able to afford toy soldiers. Great, mate. So what, what, what year was that exactly? What year did you sort of... Uh, 90, 91. 91. Wow, 91. Was when okay. I started that, yeah. So it was um, it was still Rogue Trader, and it was third edition Warhammer. Yeah, that's right. Oh, we're, we're probably very of the same vintage then, mate, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, you're a similar time. Yeah, so you would have Thanks. remembered the, the HeroQuest uh, advertisements on TV, all those glorious uh, people in makeup and costume, running around books and that kind of stuff. Here's the weirdest thing. I have, a, like, the biggest, like... Um, it's not FOMO, but it's it's the thing. Like, I, somehow I never got to see that. I ne I never saw the the Hero Quest ads. I never sort of came into to it through Hero Quest. Although some of the models that I painted for that that first chess set were like from that um, that era. I think they were from like the Space Crusade box set. But um, yeah, so when, whenever I hear people like getting into the hobby through that, it's like oh. oh I, I, I feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would have been the, about the same time that it would have been, that would all would have been going on. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, was... So what was your sort of first love then? Was it more 40K centric or more fantasy? Uh, probably fantasy. I think um, I built up a dwarf army and a, an empire army um, over time. Uh 93 i went for a um went for a like backpacking trip around europe um and stopped off in nottingham and they like, caught the bus out to eastwood which is where the main sort of gw action was and uh went in and got to sort of stand outside mail order and look through the catalog and pick out all my dwarf bits and um place an order um, carry that with me around the rest of Europe. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I think yeah, playing uh, Warhammer at the time was um, pretty cool. 92 was fourth edition Warhammer, I think. So elves and goblins in the box set. And uh, yeah, we played a, played a lot of Warhammer out of that, for sure. Great. And do you still sort of hark back to those days like we do at the Chronicle Man? We sort of go back and play fourth edition and fifth edition just for this old time uh good feels that you get of nostalgia uh when playing those games is it being something that you do on a regular basis or are you more of a sort of a modern game system guy um generally a, a modern game system kind of guy uh i will admit uh i don't i get to play um i'm in a gaming group that plays every other week uh but we usually will pick a pick a game system and we'll play that for three months and then we'll move on to another game system, that kind of thing. Uh, so 
I don't really get the chance to go back and play like a, a third edition game or a fourth edition game, that kind of thing. Um, I still got, uh, I still have all of my empire from back in the day. Um, mate of mine in Sydney has got all of my dwarves now, but uh, yeah, it's um, I generally, yeah, keep, keep moving forward. I think um, I will say that uh, when there was a switch from uh, Warhammer fantasy battles to uh, age of Sigma, I was uh, pretty salty for a while. Um, it took me, uh, probably took me about five years before I sort of came around to having a game of uh, Age of Sigma. So. And what's, what's your sort of, I, what, what, what do you feel about the game? Like, is it, I think, I feel it's like such a big um, you know, difference in style and gameplay than Warhammer. It's not even Warhammer, it's its own identity now, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's it, it is completely different. Um, the 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 more skirmishing aspect. Uh, the it it still does feel a bit more um, simplified. There there are layers of complexity on it, of course, but it's um it's quite a simple, um, straightforward game. Um, I was a big fan of of one fantasy battles. I think uh, even though I really like forty k as well, I always <laughs> my game results were always a little bit better in. Uh, with uh, Warhammer, so uh, yeah, so it's definitely a, a new one. It took me a while. The big thing it really was. Um, I'm always uh, in all of my gaming. Really, I'm a big fan of the like humanity against the fantastic. Where the idea is that like humans are the sort of the base level troops, and individually they're pretty terrible, but put them together and have them work together and fight together um they can defeat incredible uh, sort of they can win against incredible odds um so for me the empire sort of represented that the empire in bretonia and uh, that kind of thing but in age of sigma there isn't really anything like that i mean there's the, the cities of sigma sure but that's you got humans and dwarves and elves and other things all sort of mashed together to make that so it took me a while to sort of come around to the the idea of just how high fantasy uh age of sigma actually is um but now that i'm sort of in there i can look at something and go oh wow that's that's amazing that's crazy that's completely it's completely high fantasy but it's very different to that low fantasy that um the empire uh, not the empire that uh warhammer generally was fantasy battles was so I'm kind of excited to see how that's reworked, I guess, for Warhammer the Old World. And uh, there's a bit of my thinking on that is that Games Workshop's going to have like 40K and Age of Sigmar and then have its two historical games, Horus Heresy and the Old World. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that sort of pans out. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see how they, how they go with it. And... Um uh to see whether it will be a success but um yeah i'm not worried about it because i still got my games from 1995 <laughs> one 1995 or 1994 so i'm okay but yeah, um, yeah. yeah that'd be interesting to see what they do with it I'm, I'm i'm i think it's sad that they didn't make it the smaller scale i reckon if they made it a, a, a totally unique scale like they did with epic where they relaunched titanicus right. and they made it into like a 10 mil game 
Um, yep. I think they would have, if they did that, I reckon it would be really cool. I would be quite interested in it and, and, you know, with new mechanics and all that kind of stuff, something totally different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be up to them to see what they do with it, whether they're going to just, you know, uh, be brave and reinvent the wheel or they're going to just go back to something very similar <clears throat> that it was, you know, in its last incarnation. But yeah, we'll see what that delivers. Maybe they will bring out a good game. We'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'll be able to drag those empire out again. But yeah. Yeah, you have to show us some pics of that, mate, because I'll be interested to see what uh, your empire army look like now. Is it like something you painted sort of back in the day? Uh, oh, no, I've, I've, I've painted... I've kind of always been painted empire stuff. Uh, so I've got... Uh, I think originally it was... Um, I was pretty enamored with, like, Middenheim uh and then just as it grew i ended up doing like uh i've done a whole army which is sort of knight's panther on on crusade in uh in camry i've got uh a whole uh sort of um sigmarite sort of cultists uh flagellant kind of army i've got uh an army of more i've got uh like a artillery train of null kind of set up so i've got a whole bunch of stuff across i got like over a thousand empire models so wow okay that's amazing always had a lot of uh, a lot of fun painting those but uh, as i said that's it's that humanity against the fantastic when you can get that block of like 40 spearmen or 40 halberdiers is pretty uh pretty sweet to see on the tabletop yeah some of my 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 uh uh, not not humans, but not, uh, night goblins. Fifty night goblins in a unit. That's what I'm taking tomorrow in a game of fifth edition. Oh, so. <laughs> so how many uh, big target? <laughs> how many uh, fanatics have you got in it? Uh, I think I've taken three fanatics. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I think from memory anyway. Yeah. But um, nice. Yeah. But I know that you've you've written books. Not only are you a um, were you a former um, editor of White Dwarf, but now and we'll touch on that as well a little bit more, but looking at your website, you've actually written and published your own books about painting armies and um, that kind of thing. Yep. So that's quite an achievement too, because not many people can say that. No, it's, um, it's been a, been a long, um, long and sort of crazy ride, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting. It, it's, when I mentioned like back in 91 and being able to tell you that story of like when I was walking along, walking down the street, it, that's really how hard that like the, the hobby bug bit me. Um, and it, I kind of, after that was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is really what I'm going to do for the rest of my life is, <laughs> is toy soldiers. I'm going to work in toy soldiers. I'm going to do um, uh, everything that, that allows me to, play with more toy soldiers really <laughs> so um yeah, yeah it's good yeah it's been uh been definitely good but um yeah did you did you want me to jump in and talk about the books or did you want to either go back a bit further and talk about gw or let's, let's go back to gw because i really would be interested to see how that sort of happened you know how that became initially your hobby and then became your career so how did that step finally cross over what what happened there Sure thing. Um, well, basically, in uh, late, I think it was late '93, uh, Games Workshop came to Australia and set up a, a business down in Sydney. Uh, a friend of mine, um, Timmy Steele, uh, who was known as Tim Squeak at the time, 
uh, he uh, ended up going to work for them at um, uh, initially at Chatswood uh, in Sydney uh, before he ended up moving to the head office and was doing um, all sorts of stuff. He did, uh, oh, what do you call it? Did some mail order stuff. He did some other bits and pieces. And uh, he sort of set up the the studio, the promotion studio in um, the US, uh, sorry, the Australian business. Um, but about that time, I, so I was still at uni and I was working at uh, Sizzler. I don't know if you remember Sizzler at all. Steak, salad, seafood. Yeah, uh, the shrimp, the fried shrimp, mate. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I worked there all throughout uni. And um, there was one day we were sitting sitting around before a shift. And there's one of the guys had this, who sort of laid out his five-year plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I do when I sort of graduate from uni. And here's what I'm going to go and work for. And boom, boom, boom. And I was like, wow, that's that guy's got his life really organized. I, maybe I should have a five-year plan. And like uh, a week later, my five-year plan was essentially work for Games Workshop. And that was it. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, mid-94, they opened up a store in Newcastle, uh, which is my hometown. Uh, and I used to hang out there a lot. And um, eventually the managers said, hey, would you like a job? <laughs> would you like to sort of help out on Thursday game night and Saturday mornings? Um, I was like, yep, that sounds great. And he goes, well, we'll be able to pay you in blister packs. And I was like, okay, that sounds great too. <laughs> um, so yeah, for the first, I think the first two months I was pay, paid in blister packs. And then um, the HR department said, hey, uh, that's that's kind of illegal. So uh, we should start paying this guy in money. And at the end of uni, um, right before the sort of, um, so I did graphic design at Newcastle Uni. And uh, the couple of days before the, the final party to end all of my schooling, um, the area manager said, uh, hey, Dave, um, we've got a, had a position open up. Would you like to um, start on Monday? And I was like, uh, Monday, I've got this, there's this big party to end all of my schooling. It's like 13 years of schooling. Was, well, actually, no, it would have been more. What would it be? 17 years of schooling. So I'd, I'd really like to go to that. And he goes, how about Tuesday then? I said, sure, I'll start Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, after this huge party the next day, I, I went in completely hungover and opened up the store and started working full-time for Games Workshop. Wow, what a rock and roll lifestyle, mate. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I felt pretty rock and roll at the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I worked in retail for two years. Yep, just just over two years. Um I moved to Sydney. I did a little um, stint in mail order. Um, then I went and worked in the Sydney store, managed the Sydney store. Uh, then I got a sort of area supervisor position. Uh, did that for a little while. Uh, then I became like a store opening manager. So I'd go to, um, I went to Adelaide, opened up the first Adelaide store. Went to Melbourne, opened up the first store in Melbourne. Uh, and at that point, um, Timmy Steele that I mentioned, uh, he, uh, left, uh, the Australian sort of promotion studio to go work, uh, for the studio in the UK, um, in Nottingham. So because of my graphic design background, um, the general manager said, Hey, would you like to come and work in the studio? And I was like, yeah, sure. Sounds great. 
So I moved up to uh, Sydney, and that was the beginning of 97, I think. Uh, and initially, it was just um, we, would, we would change about eight pages in White Dwarf um, for the all the ads, like the ads for the grand openings, the pages of uh, store listings, that kind of thing. Um, so I'd put those pages together, send them off to the UK, and they'd print the Australian edition of White Dwarf over there. Um, I'd do flyers for the stores. I'd do flyers and posters and stuff like that for mail order. Um, but eventually that can sort of continue to grow a little bit. And then, uh, when was it? 98? I think it was 98. I can't remember when we did our first, um, first games day. Pretty sure it was 98. Um, so by that point I had a couple of other, um, staff members on the team uh, so we had Taro Kanko and Justin Keys, uh, and I can't remember when Matt Weaver joined us but um, yeah so by 99 we were doing games days we were doing grand tournaments we had um, we were printing the Australian White Dwarf in Australia um, at that, that point and that's where we started putting a lot more uh, Australian content in um which was a lot of a lot of fun to sort of put that together um and yeah so we were doing a lot doing a lot of um a lot of fun things it was basically we'd have a look at read information about what releases were coming up um we'd work out if we were going to do like create events to send out to stores or we we're going to give them some information and they would create their own events um we were doing battle reports. Uh, we were doing tale of four gamers kind of stuff uh, as well. But uh, yeah, lots and lots and lots of things that we were doing at that point. It was definitely uh, definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounded like a, a great time, mate. That's excellent. So, do you still have a lot of contact with the people that you worked with back in those days? Um, not a lot of them. Uh, I, I, I can. If I wanted to, I could definitely sort of reach out and uh, and get in touch with them pretty quickly. Uh, Facebook's a great thing for keeping <laughs> keeping people sort of in touch and uh, seeing what people are up to. Uh, but uh, yeah, so occasionally I've, I've met up with uh, with Matt um, and Tara when I've been back in Australia. Um, just never sort of got back to the same spot as uh, as Justin. Um, he's up in uh, up in Queensland. But uh, yeah, and a few of the other guys um, that we used to hang out with, um, they've definitely uh, each each time I go back to Sydney, I usually catch up with uh, with like two or three of them. We'll go out to dinner and, and do some do some stuff. Nice, but, uh, yeah, excellent. So yeah, so then obviously at some point you departed and uh, said goodbye to Games Workshop and. Um, and mate, you land yourself in in the states. How did that all happen? Well, actually, um, it was when I was still sort of working with Games Workshop, and I I think I was kind of I felt at the time that I was at sort of my my peak in Australia. Um, we'd run a whole bunch of successful games days and grand tournaments, and we're doing a lot of um, community uh, outreach and and contact that sort of thing. And uh, the U.S. team offered me a, a U.S like studio promotion studio team offered me a position 
in the US. And it was like, well, this sounds like a, a pretty cool adventure. Go over to the US. I think at the time it was sort of Peg was being like a three year, um, three year tour of the uh, US Games Workshop studio. <laughs> um, and yeah, I thought it was, this is a cool adventure. This is a perfect time in my life to go and do this. So uh, I, I moved to the US, moved to Baltimore where the uh, the office was, and uh, worked on the worked with the studio team for six years, six and a half years, nearly seven years. Um, yeah, doing all sorts of stuff. I, I came over as like a special projects manager. Uh, so there were a few things that we did. Um, one of the things uh, was creating some uh, pretty amazing displays for Games Day. Uh, so obviously it, so that was 2002 that I moved over here. Uh, Lord of the Rings was a big thing. Uh, so I think for the, the Games Days in uh, 2002, we did it. We built a like a massive Mount Doom, and then uh, got all the stores to paint up um, minis to have the the big battle from um, the first movie. Uh, sort of the the battle for where um, like the ring was cut from the hand of Sauron by uh, Isildur. So we played. Uh, we basically created that big scene um, as part of a special project. Uh, we did a few other things. We relaunched um, Battlefleet Gothic. Uh, we did a thing called uh, that we called Warhammer Skirmish, uh, where the um, scenery team we had a scenery team in the promotion studio, just three guys, and then they built. I think at the time we probably had about forty stores across the U.S. Um, they all built like two foot by two foot tables, uh, and we were introducing people to Warhammer via this Warhammer skirmish um, sort of setup. So rather than his like 150 models in an army that you have to collect, it was, you can get into Warhammer and you can paint up these 20 guys and um, start playing using, essentially using the Warhammer rules. But uh, it was a little sort of a little bit of an easier step into, um, into the hobby for people. Uh, and yeah, so I worked, worked there for, as I said, six and a half, seven years. Um, I think my final year there, I was the community development manager. Um, that was a, this is a time where Games Workshop was kind of pulling back on the amount it was spending on different things. Uh, so we were reducing the number of games days that we'd had. At one point we'd expanded, we had four different games days in uh, each year in Australia, in the US. And uh, by this point now, like 2007, 2008, we're pulling that back. Um, so my role and um, a couple of folks on the team uh, were doing it with me. We'd uh, basically were reaching out to other people who are running big tournament events and helping them expand their events and their activities. So there was still something going on uh, it wasn't run by GW, but at the same time, it wasn't paid for by GW. <laughs> so um, we can still keep that activity going. So um, yeah, there was, uh, there was sort of all that sort of stuff going on. And 
so by the end of 2008 to end of 2008 is when i left um left gw uh and i went on to join the uh war games illustrated team so i'm not sure if uh if you've heard of war games illustrated or not yeah of course it's a very famous historic like historical gaming magazine mainly or they do yep. some science fiction and that kind of stuff as well a uh, little bit of little bit of sci-fi um a yeah. little bit of fantasy not not a huge amount but yeah very definitely uh historically focused yeah uh, i'd worked the, basically around that time war games illustrated was uh bought by battlefront uh and one of the guys that was working at battlefront was a guy called john matthews who i'd worked with at games workshop and uh yeah at one point he sort of gave me a call and said hey dave how's your uh how's your history and i was like oh, i've got a, a pretty sort of good broad knowledge of history i wouldn't say i've got a lot of depth in any of it but you pick a pick a year i could possibly tell you a battle that was going on then and uh yeah then sort of he got back to me and said hey, yeah we're we're We've just bought War Games Illustrated, so we're going to do this magazine. We'd like you to be the uh, the US uh, correspondent, I guess, at the time, because it was the um, it was still being the magazine was still being put together out of uh, the UK. So I was like, sure, sounds like an exciting change and um, something a little bit different. So, um, but still familiar enough to not have me too worried. So uh yeah, for five years I worked on War Games Illustrated with um with Dan Falconbridge, who at the time was the UK editor, now he's the uh the owner editor. Um he bought it back from from uh, Battlefront a couple of years ago. But uh yeah, that was a lot of fun, definitely. I got to meet a lot of people, I got to go to a lot of uh, historical conventions over here in the US. Um I got to cover uh, shows like um, Adepticon for uh, for the magazine, mainly on the, the historical gaming that went on there, but was able to also put in some of the the fantasy and the the uh, sci fi gaming. But it's definitely um, it, it was definitely something that allowed me to to meet a lot more people and um, start building really strong sort of networks um, across the the gaming industry, which was a definitely a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, for sure, man. So that sort of leads us into how you became like a self-publisher, uh, not right. only for yourself, but for other people. How did that sort of transpire? So uh, so when did I start? So I started 2009, I started with War Games Illustrated. And then towards the end of my time there, uh, I had some friends who were doing, um, who were using a relatively new platform at the time, uh kickstarter of course that we all know and love now um to crowdfund some of their exploits and um some of them were asking me to do their graphics for them um for their kickstarter campaigns and um so i started to look at that a lot more and uh, also going to some of the historical conventions you'd walk around and you could pick up a, a set of rules uh for but you pick up like dozens of sets of rules for different games and different time periods uh, that were all that all looked like they'd been put together by um, somebody with a passing um, sort of familiarity with Word, with Microsoft Word. So they weren't very flash. <laughs> they didn't have a didn't hold a lot of interest in the in the way that the the books were laid out. 
Um, so I was like, okay, well, here's another thing that I can do. I, I know how to do layout. I know how to make layout look good and I can do it for, for print. So maybe I can offer myself up as a, um, as a layout guy and working on White Wolf Magazine and uh, War Games Illustrated, I was able also able to write. I could edit. Uh, I learned a lot of photography working for War Games Illustrated. Uh, so kind of, I kind of realized I had this set of skills that small businesses in the sort of toy so soldier realm didn't have. Um, and while, I, so I wasn't really looking to be, to go and work for any one company. Uh, it was an opportunity to work for dozens of companies and help them sort of fill the gaps in their skill sets. Uh, so that was the initial plan when I started uh, Dave Taylor Miniatures at the beginning of 2014. So, um, yeah, I had a, had a bunch of contacts by that point and, uh, yeah, I've done all sorts of stuff. I've done packaging design. Uh, I've done commission painting. I've done commission scenery building and, and painting. I've done content creation, uh, community management, um, all sorts of things. So depending on what, what people needed, um, if I had those those skills, I was able to do that. So uh, that was kind of the main thing that I was doing. Um, and then at one point it was like, um, if I wanted to keep um, sort of you keep building the, the amount of money that I was earning each year, to be honest, uh, it was okay, I can either keep charging people more, um, which in the toy soldier business is very difficult to do um so a lot of small companies don't have a lot of money um or i could work more hours uh, and there's only so far you can push that right there's only so many hours in the day uh so i thought if i created something myself and then i could sell that on afterwards i'd um that would help some of that shortfall be a, a, an extra revenue stream so at the same time, I was putting together a, um, a World War II rulebook, uh, Disposable Heroes, uh, that I'd taken the photos for. I was editing the text for it. I was responsible for the, the look of the book, and I was doing all of the layout, and I was really enjoying it. It was like, here are all these sort of different elements that I'm bringing together into this book that people are going to um, read and learn how to like, be able to play a game of disposable heroes from this um i'd i'd like to do that for myself but at the same time i i couldn't write a set of rules to to save my life um it's not what i it's not where my strengths lie <laughs> uh so i read that, that old adage like write write about what you know and so i wrote a book called armies legions and hordes which was about completing army projects army painting projects um and i sort of went through all of the uh the roadblocks that sort of people put uh sort of face as they're going through a big army project and i tried to find another like a whole bunch of different ways to help people overcome those roadblocks um so in the end um the book that i wrote a lot of, some of my friends have been like Hey Dave, do you know you wrote a project management book? 
about toy soldiers. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I did not realize that. I've never read, I've never read a project management book in my life, but uh, yeah, it, it, it felt pretty cool to have, have done that accidentally. But uh, yeah, so that was the, the book that I wrote and I did that first and I took it to Kickstarter as my, um, the first Kickstarter that I did for Dave Taylor Miniatures, it was that one. Um, I'd worked on a couple of other Kickstarters before. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to do it for a book that I'd written first uh, so that I would I'd be able to see, okay, what are all the steps along the way if I sort of fell down at any of those steps? It wasn't um, causing problems for somebody else. It was just all on me. Um, so that was uh, a great learning sort of uh, learning curve um, for then going on to work with other people. But yeah, yeah, for sure, mate. Because you know, I've seen that on on my feed, Facebook feed, or through I think Beast of War or on tabletop that you've done uh, a series of uh, volumes now, one to three of the art of, and that's the new series that you're releasing for other various miniature painting artists or um, <clears throat> that kind of thing. You got Tony Soul uh, coming to Kickstarter soon. Uh, actually, yeah, that one's that one's past. You might it might have been an earlier earlier post but uh oh right yeah yeah um no sorry um the kickstarter for that is done the book is still on the way uh so yeah yeah uh the second book that i did was with uh mel Bowes, the terrain tutor that's um, right yeah yeah we did a book called the um uh, called terrain essentials uh some big hefty tome it's nearly 200 pages yeah. uh, uh full of instructional stuff and it's basically like um essentially like 30 or 40 years of Mel's terrain building knowledge distilled into words and pictures. Um, Mel obviously has a, well, maybe not obviously, but Mel has a, a, a YouTube channel that has a lot of, lot of videos on it. Um, and some people learn really well from, from watching videos. Uh, other folks learn from reading or from looking at pictures and listening. It's a, it's a, sort of uh, been a crazy thing that it, to sort of go through and learn myself um, how different people learn. But uh, some people have said like, oh, this guy's got a YouTube channel already. Why, why do I need to get a book? And it's like, okay, well, when, when you want to learn about what sort of ratio you need to have your like water to um, to glue, which video was that in? Uh, I think it was in this one. Okay, what's the timestamp on it? How many of these? How many hours of videos are you going to watch to get go back and find that? Um, when you can just flick to that section of the book, so it's a great tool that works with the with his videos, um, so you can see them, see it in action, and then you can go back and remind yourself as you're working through it with that book. Um, but yeah, that was that was cool to work with Mel on that. Uh, we were due to uh, fulfill that beginning of 2020. Uh, and I'm sure everybody remembers what happened at the beginning of 2020. Uh, but at the same time, Mel was going through some um, some health problems and some family uh, issues. So everything became a bit delayed. So 2020 was a bit of an odd year where we were still working through the book, uh, but just at a slower pace. And then I get to discover 
all the wonderful things about supply chain issues and uh, shipping costs and so on in the middle of a global pandemic. But uh, we fulfilled that in 2021, got that out to everybody and uh, then into retail. Uh, and then I think October 2021, we had to place a reorder with our printers. Uh, so in our initial print run was 10,000 copies. And we our second print run was 2,000 copies. So we printed 12,000 copies of Terrain Essentials, which is pretty exciting. Um, yeah, then 2021... I uh, did the Kickstarter for the first three three volumes of the Art of series. Uh, so the Miniature Monthly team, um, Christoph Kyle, uh, who goes by Cornell on uh, Instagram, and uh, Anna Palanchuk were the first three art uh, first three books that we did. Um, and for that that series, I wanted that to be a one of the things that, I, that I'm regularly doing is thinking about it what what's available on the market right now and what isn't there what would i like to see that isn't available and um at the moment there aren't many books that are about not the how to paint but the why why do these people paint the way they do why do they choose their subjects or their genres or what were their what's their origin story what are the things that influence them in their hobby so I pick people whose hobby that whose miniature painting that I really enjoy um, so I could find out more about it and then put it into a, a book form. So Great. Uh, there's a lot of um, stuff in there about uh, what their influences were, how they approach their painting, what they're passionate about, really, um, what they're trying, um, what hasn't worked for them in the past or what new things they're doing uh there's all that sort of stuff uh so we released those they were filled beginning of this year and they went to retail about april this year and then may i ran another kickstarter for volumes four five and six uh as i said uh tommy was in there um is volume five um chris suri from uh the u.s uh, it was volume four and Saini Die uh is the is volume six. Uh he's from France. Um and again, these are these are all people that I've, I've really admired their their work uh for different reasons. There are different things about their work that that I love. Um but Tommy's stuff, um I've been sort of watching Tommy's stuff for for ages and there's one point where it was like it felt like Tommy was the first first painter to do a weekend workshop kind of thing where people would come along to a store and they'd sit down for like 16 hours to like two eight hour days and pay 200 bucks to do it. It was just a kind of an amazing concept to me. It was something that hadn't really been done before in the in the hobby, but now there are a lot of painters who do that kind of kind of thing there are conventions that invite people along to invite artists along to run those kind of classes so um it's really cool to be able to it has been awesome to be able to work with tommy over the last um year basically uh, 
Mate, you're just missing the art of hero hammer now. That's all you need. <laughs> yep. yep. The art of heavy metal. You get all the old heavy metal guys on and they have uh, anthologies of, of their work. Um, that'd be amazing, yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. There's so many, um, so many amazing things that, so many amazing people uh, and groups and collectives um, that I could work with that, but I, I'm really, really looking forward to to all of it going forward. One of the things that I'm trying to do with each of the, like three books is a, I think is a good amount and three books a year means I can build this, build the library up steadily. Um, at one point I was, I was like, I, I kind of like this to be like the, uh, the Osprey, Osprey publishing of miniatures art kind of thing where in the future somebody could go oh, i'm really interested in in checking out more like object source lighting and it's like okay cool well you want to go and check like uh volume 12 with uh victoria lamb and you want to check out volume 32 with this artist and um get excited about those kind of things um i think that'd be a, a pretty sweet way to go but uh i am sort of keen to as i do it to have like somebody from the us somebody from europe and then somebody either from the, like the uk or australia or, or somewhere else in the world um and get a, a good mix of people around the world so everybody can go okay well it's not he's not just focusing on um the spanish painters or the italian painters or that kind of thing um so get a nice sort of mix of of people but yeah having that doing that sort of networking and and talking to to people and and i think it's the best part is is when you're talking to somebody about what they're excited about and i'm and if it's something that i'm excited as well it's, it's very easy to ask more questions about okay what 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 how did you do this how did you do that um i found there are things that some of the artists do that they just assume everybody else does or they assume it's, it's like not a particularly important thing um but when i was talking with um at one stage with elizabeth beckley who's in the miniature monthly uh book um she was talking about her um work in progress shelf and i said oh what's your work in progress shelf all about and she goes well i've got this shelf of like busts and miniatures and that sort of thing that are primed and they're never it's not planned for them to go anywhere they're not like she doesn't feel the need to finish any of these particular models but if she wants to practice something she can pick up one of these models and practice on a certain area um so painting something like fishnet stockings for example is um going to be fairly tough but so if you practice that um you're going to get better at it right before you apply it to the miniature that you want to have it finished on so she can just pick up a model and practice some fishnet stockings on a model or if she's had a rough day she really enjoys painting faces it helps her relax so she can pick up a model and just start painting faces um and i was like nobody else that i know has anything like that <laughs> there's always that thing if like if you go and start painting a model you've got that compulsion that's like well, I've got to get back and finish that. I have to finish that model. I've got to finish that model. That's it. She's like, no, you don't. It's like, we're going to tell people about it. So there's a big chunk <laughs> of that the first section is all about like, you don't have to finish this model if you don't want to. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, yes, yeah, being able to find those little things that 
that the artists it's it's become second nature for the artists, but other people seeing it would be excited by it. Yeah, for so. sure. That's good. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, it's a very interesting uh project that um you know you sound very passionate about and it's it looks like the people you uh are contributing with um Yep. Yeah, they're they're having a great time in uh, showing and showcasing their work. So it's a really really good initiative, mate. So yeah, hopefully they'll grow and expand for uh, many years to come. Um, mm -hmm. Mate, we've got we've got some questions from our Discord group as well. Um, sure. So if you don't mind, we'll just we'll just ask a few of those. Yeah, go for it. Uh, we've got Carnifex, my good buddy Aussie mate Carnifex. Um, he asked you if you remember Brian Cook. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, definitely. Yeah, Brian's great. Um, so Brian, uh, yeah, back when I was working in uh, in Australia, Brian was, I think Brian was working at the Miranda store uh, in Sydney. But wow. um, so it wasn't until after I left that Brian joined the like the promotion studio in, in Australia when he was doing a lot of stuff for White Dwarf. But uh, yeah, no, big fan of Brian. He's a great guy. You probably know Kent Fury too, then, because Kent was working at the same time. I think you worked in Sydney as well. Yep. You yep. know the Fury? You probably I do. I do. Yeah. He's been a guest a couple of times on the uh, the Crown of Command, and yeah, he's a wild man, but he loves his empire like yourself. Actually, he's a big empire man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's uh, yeah, definitely. He's uh, great. Yeah, I caught up with him uh, for a cup of coffee last time I was in Australia. Actually. Oh, good. That's great, man. Awesome. Um, yeah, covering fire. This is Ted. Uh, he asks you whether um, you can tell us more about the battle report you played with Paul Sawyer, aka Fat Bloke, in a Beastman vs. Empire battle report for what? Right. Yeah, um, that's kind of funny. Uh, so the setup story um, when we first started, uh, battle reports were going to be the sort of the easiest way for us to be able to bulk out some um issues in the magazine and when we were switching from um the magazine we were getting from the uk to the magazine we we're going to be publishing in australia we needed to sort of gain an extra issue um so when we started publishing in in australia uh we published i think one of our first issues we published a battle report uh called uh it was myself against um oh Chris Feldman um, called uh, Crazy Joe Wears Yellow. And it was Praetorians against Imperial Fists. And it was, it was kind of a goofy report. Um, things were, we just had fun with it. And um, we published that. We didn't send it off to the UK to be approved or anything. And uh, we basically later, well, sort of probably a month or two later, Paul was coming out for uh, games day and uh, I got a call from him and I was sort of told in no uncertain terms that, that what we'd done there with that particular battle report, the crazy Joe was yellow was, uh, was not the way battle reports were to be done. So uh, got a little bit of a telling off, but uh, sorry, I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, um, I mean, when you go back and look at it, it's like, yeah, this is, it was not, very much not in the uh the voice of games workshop it was uh the voice of a couple of guys having a lot of fun um but uh i said well i have never really gone through and played a battle report so i'm not sure how it should be done so when paul came out he said okay well we'll line up something we'll do something in the store i think we played it in the chatswood store 
we played that battle and uh had it recorded um but somebody was i think justin keys was taking notes and taking photos and then um we went away and put together a a proper white dwarf battle report um for that game so but yeah that was using my marion burgers i think um so i had like green and white empire troops against um his uh also his um tale of four gamers oh, excellent excellent yeah so that was that was really cool i mean it was great to be able to to do that but uh Wonderful. yeah but that, that, that's why we did that battle report so i could uh learn about reports for the future <laughs> way back in his good graces then eh? yeah yeah did he win yeah. did he win that one uh oh i couldn't i couldn't tell you actually you probably let him win. You probably let him win at that that stage. Probably, yeah. probably. he was he was the guest in Australia, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, no. Paul, Paul and I get on really well. Um, yeah, yeah and we've done some stuff together with uh, Dave Taylor Miniatures and Warlord Games and uh, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, because uh, that's why he works at Warlord now. He's a graphic designer himself, isn't he? Um, oh, Paul's done a, done a bunch of uh, design, but um, no, Paul's uh, part owner. Of um, oh, I don't know. yeah, so Paul and uh, John Stallard own right. Warlord Games, and uh, so Paul is kind of the the head of the uh, development studio as well. So, okay, all the products, all of the Warlord products that come out, um, have gone through Paul at some point. Okay, so. well, all right, he did well for himself. Um, Carnifex also asked, Dear Dave, is it true that Terra Kanko is chained? Up in your basement, still sorting out packages. <laughs> no, no, he's he's not. Um, no, Tero, uh, Tero's awesome. It's uh, fantastic, uh, fantastic guy. But yeah, no, is Tero's awesome, awesome person to work with, um, awesome guy to hang out with. Uh, he's never actually visited me here in the US. Right. Um, might be afraid of being chained up in a basement, but. Um... <laughs> No, I know. Yeah, Taro worked in uh, worked in mail order, um, as did Justin at some point um, before they started working for uh, like in the in the studio. Yeah, yeah, but no, definitely cool. Cool. And um, John Paints asks, um, Dave, what was your favorite white dwarf feature to uh, you have worked on? That's a good question. Um, I really have no idea, to be honest. Um, so it's a good question, terrible answer. Uh, <clears throat> I think um, they not so much a, not so much a feature, but I, I was very uh, very proud that we were able to um, sort of go from uh, being able to put like eight to twelve Australian pages in a, mm. a, a UK magazine, or re replacing the the sales pages essentially. Um, to being able to publish the like print the magazine in Australia, um, because it was a it was a fairly small print run at the time. Uh, it meant that it was always printed overnight. So anybody who was uh, who got the the drew the short straw to go and uh, do the the press check. So basically, you know the the person who gets to go and when they start printing the the next 16 pages you get to wander out check the the proof while they've, they've got the presses shut down 
check the proof against your um, digital proof, make sure all the colors are right and everything looks like it's supposed to be good. Nothing's out of um, alignment and then sign off on it. And then they'll print that 16 pages, however many times. Um, and then like an hour and a half later, they'll come and wake you up and um, get you to check the next 16 pages. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, it, it was going through all that and learning all those sort of things. Before that, I'd never, never done a press check on a, on a magazine at all. Um, we had to do things like, like paper buying. So I had to talk to a paper buyer and make sure that we could have these big reels of paper delivered. Um, so I think it was the, probably my favorite thing. The proudest moment was really that, um, when that first magazine rolled off the, off the, um, printing who rolled off the printing presses yeah but it would have been and, and went out so that was in 99 i think it might have been the uh like battlefleet gothic cover but uh it was right around then anyway but yeah it was, it was probably that it was at that point we were sort of we'd hit the uh hit the world stage i guess <laughs> yeah for sure mate that's for sure um and um no that that would brought a lot of good memories and yeah really good feeling to see that first white dwarf come off the the print run and and you know that you know that you've been a part of that which has been pretty amazing yeah um and then the card effects for a third question my goodness card effects i'm giving you a lot of um a lot of good good uh goodwill here but uh says dear dave tell us about the time when gav thor visited sydney and there was a wild party did anyone lose their pants Oh geez, I don't. I don't um, question. I mean, he's obviously obsessing over Gav Thorpe without pants on or something. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I was ever in it. That I was in Sydney when Gav Thorpe came. Um. Yeah, I don't remember Gav coming. I, I remember Gav coming to um Baltimore and uh, and one of our outriders uh, sort of threatening to cut off his hair. Oh, right. cut off Gav Thorpe's hair because um because he wasn't happy with with what Gav had done to the uh the Eldar Wraith Lords. But um, oh, right. what dead serious? I well I think at the time it certainly felt like he was serious. Everybody was drunk though, so I'm not hundred percent oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I know, that, uh, I know um, Andy Andy um uh Andy uh, Chambers came out to Australia. So I don't know yep. whether, whether um card effects means Andy instead. I'm not sure. I know we had um jazz as well. All oh, right, cool. Yeah. I do know <laughs> funny um funny drinking partying stories. Uh the first games day that we had, I was really worried. I'd never been to a games day before, so I had no idea how they were gonna run. We'd never run one. And I just knew that we had like not I think we had nine hundred um, attendees who were all ready to to come in and have a great time. Um, we flew in a lot of uh, basically all of our staff from around the country uh, because we didn't have um, a, a big pool of um, staff in Sydney at the time. And it was like, I, oh, yeah, we really can't go out and and have a good night beforehand. So we're going to put them all up in a in a motel out near the airport and. Um, then just shuttle everybody to the to the venue yeah. and we did that 
and everybody had a great day. Everything went really well, really smoothly. And I was really excited and, and happy that that had happened. And then uh, some of the the managers, store managers said, yeah, they went really well, don't you think, Dave? And I said, yeah, it did. It worked great. And um, they're like, okay, well, you know that someone sort of brought a whole bunch of cases of beer around to the motel and we all got drunk. And I was like, really? Oh, I'm disappointed that that happened. But it went really well anyway. So the next year we moved everybody into a like a hotel near the venue and um went out and got drunk the night before <laughs> <laughs> as you do nice yeah. and, and everything, everything went smoothly everybody was uh it was all good and then the i think the year after that when we moved it to um oh i can't, can't remember the name of the, the place the horden pavilion mm -hmm. uh, like sydney park or something like that um yeah the night night before that it was the biggest night at the uh, henry the eighth pub that they'd ever had oh right even it was a like ostensibly an, uh not henry the eighth henry the ninth i think it was mm -hmm. um but we used to go there all the time and uh this particular night was bigger than any any other night that they had ever had wow so um but yeah i was i was very rough the next day <laughs> i bet you were mate that's nice it's lovely yeah but fortunately by that point everybody who was who was working um can you say they knew what they were doing they knew what needed to happen and uh everything just happened really really smoothly they everybody did, did a fantastic job so great that's awesome yeah. what a great <laughs> so dave thank you very much again for your time today i know that um you know our time difference are quite quite varied as i'm in japan yep. and in the states now so uh yeah th thank thank you and your family for giving us the time to come and talk on the Crown of command today Oh, no worries. I, I think it was, uh, it was definitely great. Thanks very much. Anytime. Thanks again. And, and all the best for Dave, Dave Taylor Binitches. And I'll leave links uh, in the show notes for people to go and check out your, your main website. And if they want to contact you about purchasing any of the books that we've talked about today, uh, cool there'll thing. be links there for them to be redirected to the places where they need to go to pick one of those up. So, yeah, I do hope to see the art of Hero Hammer at one stage, mate, in the future. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. <laughs> I'll get started on the planning for that. Yeah. <laughs> good idea, Dave. Thanks, mate. Cool. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Bye.